0: You're listening to episode 86.
1: Happy Love Day!
0: Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel M.
1: And I'm Christina M.
0: All right, every time I think about or hear Valentine's Day or love family, I think back... Our well, family? Well, our family but, was made out of love. Yes, that's true. I think of Wonder Pets. Wonder, Wonder Pets? Pets? Yeah, the show that our kids used to watch oh, a long time yeah. ago. Where it was like, I want dinner. Dancing! Dinner! Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know why. It but, was two ladybugs yeah. who couldn't
1: decide what they wanted uh, to do for Valentine's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What they couldn't do for Valentine's Day. Yeah. And so the Wonder Pets came to the rescue and said, why can't you just do both?
0: Yeah. Wonder Pets, Wonder Pets, we on our way. I can't believe I still remember that. Oh <laughs> the joys. our kids watched yes. while we made a
2: love family. <laughs>
0: oh, Christina. In the other room. All right, Good all word. right, all right. Okay, so today we have a fantastic interview with Gary Thomas.
1: Oh my goodness. So uh, we mentioned it last week as we gave a little snippet to this podcast episode. He was our dream interviewee.
0: Yeah, the guy has written 19 books and... For just one of them, he sold over a million copies.
1: Right. And you being an author, you understand how much grit it takes to, first of all, write 19 books. Yes. And second of all, the fact that a book would be a so engaging and so life transformational that people would want to buy it again and again.
0: Yeah. So we read Sacred Marriage when it was green and had a little leaf on it, the first version of it. And it was, I mean, was it our first year of marriage? Or No,
1: we were actually engaged. Oh, that's right. And that's I don't right. really know. I don't know how I came upon it because we didn't have social media or even Amazon. Mm. Like, how did we live? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we asked people yeah, for book recommendations. Yeah, I guess so. We, <laughs> we went to yeah. the bookstore. We talked to humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And so I picked it up and I read it. And I was like, oh my goodness, Daniel, you need to read this book. And mm. so the premise of it is, what if marriage is to make us more holy than it is happy.
0: So Gary Thomas, a few years ago, updated it, revised it and rewrote it. And today we have the joy of talking to him about sacred marriage. And yeah, and man, you're in for a treat.
1: So before we dive into our amazing interview with Gary Thomas, we did want to remind you that we do have a giveaway for our podcast family. If you want to be entered into a draw to win amazing wireless earbuds, Daniel's favorite actually – all you need to do is buy a copy of Daniel's book, and you can get that wherever books are sold or at his website, DanielM.com/ur. Then you take a picture of your receipt and send it to us at our Gmail. That's M I M between podcast at gmail.com. Just send us a screenshot of your receipt and you will be entered into the draw.
0: Yeah. And even if you have a pair of wireless earbuds and even if you have AirPods, trust me, these are better. They're true wireless earbuds with the case 60 hours before you have to charge it. And without even putting them in your case, it's six to eight hours of playtime. I've used it for over a year and I've had lots of different pairs of earbuds and these have definitely won the day with the bass i love and and to listen to our podcast Yeah, all right so that's it now let's listen to the interview
1: So just a little background story. We were talking about this on the top of the podcast before we pressed record. Daniel and I, now we're going on 14 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. We actually read your book 15 years ago. Yeah, and now as I'm staring at the cover, it's new. It looks fresh and new. The one we had um, has a uh, green leaves on it. So yeah. you know,
0: this kind of looks like uh, an episode of MasterChef where you know the <laughs> the, plates. Uh, the plates they do that yeah. painting yeah. thing with the different the garnishes. And yeah, exactly. What is that called? Cauliflower puree or. Parsnip puree is what something, they do. Something yeah. deconstructed.
1: If you don't know what to call it, you always call it deconstructed, yes. right? Exactly. So, Gary, we are just so thrilled to have you and be able to chat with you and talk to you about um, the revision of the book. And also, we just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. I know you don't know us personally, but thank you so much for investing into our lives, investing into our marriage, and investing to uh, into so many others. So we really appreciate you.
2: Well, I'm honored to hear that. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Uh, so this book has been written about 20 years ago, but it has been yes. revised. Yes. What initially inspired uh, you to write your book, Sacred Marriage? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And what a strong subtitle oh right there, goodness. right?
2: Yes. <laughs> Part, it, it came from two things. Partly my my limitations and something that I saw just wasn't being addressed Uh, by the books that that I was reading. My limitations were, I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I couldn't really help people fix the issues in their marriage. wouldn't, I really didn't have the qualifications or expertise to do that. But I saw something in my own marriage that just wasn't being addressed by other books. I was being challenged in ways that I'd never been challenged as a single person. Now, I got married very young. I'm not saying you can't be challenged as a single person. But when I got married, there were issues that came up and things I saw about me that I just didn't see before my my pride, my selfishness, all, all of these ugly things. I thought of myself as a pretty good guy, you know, in, in junior high, it sounds silly, but they they have the Hall of Fame Awards and they have the t- typical most likely to succeed. And that wasn't me. And most athletic I wanted it to be, but it wasn't me. Uh most popular <laughs> certainly not but I was voted most polite, right? Oh. <laughs> and, oh that's like most yeah, improved player. <laughs>
1: every ju- but your parents were so yeah, proud. Well,
2: every <laughs> yeah. junior high boy's dream. Most polite. Yeah, I nailed it and I <laughs> But yeah. that's oh, the man. image I had of myself and then when I got married and realize some of the stupidest things that could become an issue I just, I'm not going to let that bother me. In fact, one of the first issues Lisa and I faced were ice cube trays. Um, the family I grew up in, if you got on an ice cube, you're supposed to refill the tray and put it in the freezer. So the next person has a nice full tray of ice cubes. And I was convinced that's the biblical way to handle yourself in the kitchen. (laughs) And then I I married a woman who grew up in a family that would run that thing down to an ice chip. Right. (laughs) If there's something you could scrape off with a knife, you weren't morally obligated to refill the tray and put it back in the freezer. And I can't believe how frustrated I got um, and how important it was to me to have this nice full tray. Of ice cube. So one night Lisa was speaking romantically to me. And I thought, well, here's my chance to get it across. She said, Garrett, I'm gonna love you forever. I said, honey, I don't need you to love me forever. I need you to love me for seven seconds. She goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> Said I timed how long it takes to fill the ice cube trays and to put them in the freezer. It's about, oh I know
0: that's incredible. And, and
2: <laughs> if you'd ever told me as that junior higher voted most polite or the high school or college student, I, I wouldn't have believed that something as pathetic and trivial as ice cube trays would become an issue in my marriage. But they had, and I, what I'd never seen is you – because know, I'd read a lot of books. I'd written books before on spiritual formation, how we're shaped by to become like Christ. But a lot of those books throughout the ages were written by monks and nuns for monks and nuns. The, the notion being to become really holy, you have to be like a monk or a nun. You go off in solitude. You're by yourself. It's just you and God. And yet I found myself challenged by marriage – to become more like God, and then later as a parent to become more like God than anything I'd ever known. That In one sense, it's relatively easy to feel holy going off on an individual prayer retreat where you're by yourself all this weekend or traveling with your spouse in an SUV two or three provinces over or a couple states over – you know, the, the way your patience will be challenged, the way your mm-hmm. speech will be challenged. And I would just never seen a book that addressed marriage and how it can be used by God to shape us. And so I, I think the thing that mm-hmm. gave it such a big launch was there were two areas where I just really sort of challenged the status quo. First, I admitted that marriage is difficult Uh, I think marriage is glorious. I think it's wonderful. I think there are Mm -hmm. parts about it that are intoxicating. But I don't think there's a single marriage that we would describe as easy. And and maybe to sell books, I don't want to describe false motives, but there's almost this over-realized expectation that if you will just read this book, your marriage is going to be easy. Your marriage is going to be better. And I was willing to say, you know what? Even if you're compatible, even if you're mature believers— No marriage is going to be easy all the time. And admitting that difficulty really validated the struggle so many face. And because out of that, I said, but there's a purpose behind the struggle. God uses that difficult relationship for a glorious purpose to help us become like Christ. So instead of just focusing on, is this making me happier? Is this making me fulfilled? It's the struggles of marriage that lead to a great purpose. To become a different kind of person, the person I think we want to be, but that isn't easy to get
0: yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a paradigm shift. Your subtitle, right? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Because everything you watch on, in the movies, right, in TV, and everything that we see and read, and even the the idealized view that um, some younger people might have of marriage. It's this whole idea of happiness. and even if you look at uh, the way that divorce was it, irreconcilable differences, yeah right the that big, big case mm-hmm. where then it was like, well, there's actually we don't actually have to have a real reason for divorce. We just have quote unquote, irreconcilable differences
1: they didn't fill up the ice tree right exactly irreconcilable (laughs) differences
0: (laughs) there's the rationale I am not happy anymore and then we chase after oh then I'll get married to this person and and that because that person makes me happy because of this you know this affair and, and I'm happier in that affair than I am in my marriage and and then you chase that down the road I mean it's such a paradigm changing concept that you've landed on here
2: well it it was for me yeah and and here's the thing when you get married primarily to be happy and you marry somebody who marries you primarily to be happy, you have, in the words of a Southern pastor here I'm speaking from Texas, you have two ticks and no dog, <laughs> and, uh, that sounds, that's that's incredible
0: you got the you got you, the you, accent too, yeah. that was good,
2: yeah. You're, you're sucking each other dry. Wow. And and I want to stress, and this is what I loved about being able to update sacred marriage and revise it. I talk about how it's not holy instead of happy, mm. that holiness preserves <laughs> happiness. Oh, wow. John Wesley, the famous evangelist said, I don't know anybody who's truly happy who's not pursuing holy. Wow. And you know what? It, it's so true, because if you look at, Uh, at a man whose anger isn't under control, he's not happy. He's venting. He's pushing people away. If you look at a woman that's driven by negativity or materialism, she's never satisfied. She's never happy. And so it's ultimately the best life. The abundant life is a life in obedience to Jesus. And that's what preserves our happiness. But we Mm -hmm. expect fallen humans to make us happy. And, And the Bible tells us in James 3, two, that we all stumble in many ways.
0: Mm, yeah.
2: And you think about we all, meaning everyone, stumbles in many ways. The Bible's promising you that you're going to join your life with someone who will frustrate you, who will hurt you, who will disappoint <laughs> you. And you think that's going to make you happier? <laughs> yeah.
1: An upside down world, maybe. but no. Yeah, it, it <laughs> yeah. is. And,
2: and, and so we've got to understand the purpose that if we can grow together, not just as husband and wife, but as brother and sister in Christ mm, and, yeah. and apply that grace, then we said, OK, it's it's not fun right now. It's not easy, but there's a good thing going on. And so my marriage is still worthwhile yeah and and it just gave me because i I had such a romantic view of marriage when I first got married, and the expectations were were so high um that really it's the message of sacred marriage that I, I've heard it saved a lot of other marriages, but it saved mine as well,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, just as you were talking about the idea of holiness and, and happiness, I know that we have some listeners who are listening in right now, and they're like, yes, you know what? I understand what you're talking about as it relates to to holiness. I I do know who Jesus is. I attend a church. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I, I have that relationship with Christ, but my spouse doesn't. And they're in this marriage right now where they're like, I get a lot of what you're saying, and, and I can get there, but... My spouse isn't there because he doesn't have that relationship with Jesus. What advice would you give them? Um, Yeah, what advice would you give them?
2: Yeah, well, Paul's pretty direct that if we're married to a non-believer, if they're willing to stay with us, we should stay with them in the hopes that seeing the presence of God in our life will make them want to invite God into their life as well. And and so... (sighs) what what you can gain from is that you can learn how, one, fulfilling it is to be used by God to reach out to someone, but you are still getting a big benefit out of marriage. You're learning how to love somebody who doesn't share your faith. You're learning how Mm -hmm. to be patient. God is still using that in a way to stretch you and help you grow. The worst thing you could do As a believer, maybe worst is too strong, but a very unhelpful thing is to look at it like, okay, I'm a Christian and they're not, so they're the one that needs to change. They're the one that Mm. needs to go. It doesn't, they have nothing to tell me if they're not a believer. Well, you know what? If you're still a little bit selfish and a little bit proud and a little bit fearful or a little bit materialistic or negative, all those things, we still have need to grow. So don't look as if my marriage will be better when my spouse becomes a Christian. The reality is it might be tougher on you in some ways when wow. your spouse becomes a Christian. I I I point out in in the book how John Bunyan, a lot of well Christians will know him as the one who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most yeah. beloved novels of all time from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. but he was in jail more than he was at home. In an age, because of his faith, in an age when the jail didn't feed you. Oh, wow. And it was his second marriage. So his wife was taking care of his kids while he's in jail and responsible for getting food to him and clothes to him and not getting any benefits from being married to him. It's like, okay, I gotta raise his kids before our marriage and our kids, and I gotta take it. So so sometimes the call of God on someone's life actually makes your life more difficult, not easier. So still use the process that God can use a non-believer to point out where you need to grow. Be faithful so that they can see the presence of God in your life and and want to embrace that. I, I don't want to downplay how painful it must be when the greatest love of your life, Jesus, isn't shared by the greatest human love mm-hmm. of your life. And yeah. and certainly to, to pray and hope that that would change, but also recognize that there's still a lot of that marriage that God can use to help you grow and fulfill his ultimate purpose for marriage as well. Yeah, that's a good word.
1: Gary, I love how you're talking about whether we're married to a Christian or we're not married to a Christian. Uh, the fact that we need to come before God with a posture of humility and a posture of what God are you wanting and to teach me and perhaps my spouse, but especially we're looking at ourselves, mm-hmm. um, about the truth of who you are and what you're calling me to do and live out through my marriage, right? And we know right now that it's not just to be happy. So these are You know, truths that will stand the test of time. And you had talked about, uh, you had your first edition come out 20 years ago and then you revised it. Um, What are some of the things that you saw that are happening in our current society or perhaps in even marriages that are happening or, you know, um, starting recently that inspired you to revise your book, Sacred Marriage?
2: Uh, I'm going to be honest, it was more. Contemporary reading habits Than culture okay. That wanted me to That moved me to want to revise it um, I was pleasantly surprised At how well it had held up There's always a cult- few cultural references You've got to remove That people just don't remember anymore People that were famous 20 years ago That nobody knows today And certainly not yeah. referring to things Like cassette tapes or stuff That isn't a part of culture anymore <laughs> That's um, awesome. but, but the reason Reading habits have changed. I mean, uh, just the way that that how long chapters can be. So we did a lot of cutting. I I love the chance just to because I'd had a number of years of people interacting with the book. The whole point about it's not happiness and holiness against each other, but holiness preserving happiness. I was able to make that clear. So um, I, I felt I was able to tighten the message, present it in a more succinct, reader friendly format. Uh, and, and just have a little more experience and, and frankly, confidence. I, I was afraid to touch it too much because it had done so well and it was still moving well right. enough. I didn't want to mess it up. So, um, it, it was a light hand. I wouldn't recommend if somebody has your copy with the leaves. I don't think it's necessary for somebody to go out and buy the new edition. Uh, now the new edition has been out. I say that four years. So I don't think anybody getting it now is going to, um, not have the, the new edition, but uh, I, I was grateful for the chance just to sort of tighten the message, focus the message and and make it a little easier for people to go through. So kudos to you two as a actually as an engaged couple who got through a more difficult version of the book. <laughs>
1: We wanted to succeed Yay. in our marriage being Enneagram 3s. <laughs> yes. If we are going to be married, we are going to do it the best the, the world oh, yeah. has seen. Yes.
0: Our collection of marriage books. Yeah, exactly. Yes.
1: Well, and we have failed many times, so thank the Lord for grace. Yes.
2: <laughs> exactly. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Available wherever books are sold.
1: Um. So, aside from your book, then Gary, because I uh, we know that you speak, you know, all around the world, and you just have really an amazing lens to be able to see, um, what God is doing and what is going around, uh, in our marriages and in our lives. So, aside from the book. Are there any unique challenges that you see marriages facing today that previous generations maybe don't have to face?
2: Yeah, well, I think our romanticized version of what marriage should be, uh, our expectations of romantic idealism is just, I, I think it's just hurting so many marriages. Um, and, and partly, I think it's ignorance of brain science We know from neuroscience that infatuation lasts about 12 to 18 months and it's powerful and it draws us together. But in that Mm. process, we're idealizing each other. Neuroscientists would tell us that we're creating somebody who literally doesn't exist. We ascribe, we ascribe strengths to them. They don't have, we explain away their weaknesses, but that only lasts 12 to 18 months. And then at that point, we feel like they've committed fraud where maybe we've married them within 18 months. Wow. And all of a sudden it's like, well, you're not who I thought you were. Well, that's true. And so then if you get married just for happiness and ease and comfort, and then you have to deal with the difficulties and the realities of being married to somebody who stumbles in many ways, we just, we just say, well, that's not what I signed up for. And so I think our culture's just gone more in that direction where we don't understand how God uses difficult things for a good purpose. But if we just look at life, the best things in life come from difficulties. It's not easy learning how to play an instrument Mm -hmm. But man, when I I, look, I'm not musical myself, but when I listen to somebody who's mastered the guitar or gone through the voice lessons or whatnot, or uh, uh, frankly, any Stevie Wonder album where he just puts all of the instruments, I'm just, I'm in awe and thankful for the years of labor it took for him to put that together. Uh, Running a marathon can make people cry, but you've got to do a lot of training to get to that. (laughs) Um, so you're saying so, to
0: play like him, you can't just watch a few YouTube videos and buy a guitar and <laughs> <what>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: no. snap your fingers, make <laughs> an in yeah. Instagram post, and there you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> to to play like Stevie Wonder, you also have to have the genes. I'm not. I, I'm not. Yes. I, I could study every day, and I'm still not going to get there. But, yeah. um, but but I think we've just lost that vision, and so without that, um. It's just amazing to me to see how people give up. And then what's really sad. Now, this is a bit past where a lot of your listeners are, but now the most common age to get a divorce is in your fifties Yeah. because people are, are disappointed having kids. They stay married for the kids and then, okay, the kids are gone. There's nothing holding us together. We might still live for another 30 years. Boom. Let's go start over with someone else. And, and I can tell you from personal experience that the empty nest years can be the sweetest years of your marriage. Mm. You, you tend to have more money. We were so poor before sacred marriage. You have more time. You, 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 you know, you're not having the kids there all the time. And, and, and I think we miss out on the best things in life because we're not willing to honestly embrace and admit the toughest things in life. Yeah. They come yeah. together. And if we won't struggle through marriage, we'll miss the greatest benefits of marriage because what happens is you say, okay, it's not worth it. And so then you get infatuated with someone else and then you're, you're frustrated. The reality is I'm, I'm fudging the statistics a tiny bit to make it tidy, but in general, second marriages are about half as successful as first. And third marriages are about half as successful as second marriages. And, and you would think after you've gone through it, you would know how to make a better choice. And, and your second marriage is likely going to be better. But statistically, it's not because people who are flitting from marriage to marriage, usually rarely are they happier. They're more and more desperate. Because they're looking for something that doesn't exist. It's like the, you know, I've, I've never done drugs, but I hear the first time you do something like crack cocaine, the high is the biggest you'll ever have. And then you're chasing that again and you take more drugs and you're never going to get that again. And it's the same thing with romantic happiness. Until you're willing to embrace the reality of life as it is, um, you're just chasing after something that, Well, it it undercuts what could be.
0: So I've seen the same research. And in this particular one, it was talking about marriages and spouses and, and happiness. So it was this case where you had a adultery that happened in a marriage, and then they compared... Uh, couples who stayed and stick together and those who didn't. And, you know, about three to five years later, the couples who stayed together were actually happier and more fulfilled than those who had split up and who had maybe married again.
2: Yeah, it, it's a powerful testimony to um, just the reality of the, the cycles of marriage. And, and I think I've been married long enough, 35 years, where you recognize you're going to have good seasons, quiet seasons, And frustrating seasons, but you don't define your marriage by any one particular season. And this is where I think Satan is so clever and devious. And awful because he'll hit a couple that are facing just a difficult time. Maybe they have toddlers and a baby. So the couple is exhausted. They can't remember the last time they've been able to be sexually intimate with abandoned. They're frustrated with each other. And he acts like this is how your marriage is always going to be. He's saying, this is a difficult time. It's always going to be a difficult time. You're too young. You still have a chance to be happy. The reason you're unhappy is because you're ma-. rather than recognizing this is a difficult stage for any couple to be married in, he's, he's particularizing it. And you've got to learn to not listen to those voices, to not define your marriage by that particular season, but to be committed to the overall goal. And what that same study found is that when you make it to your 35th wedding anniversary, you tend to be as happy as you were as newlyweds uh, this after marriage has gone through a wow. lot of up and downs for those first three decades, mm-hmm. but it's more meaningful now at 35 because your brains have shaped around each other. You're, you have this rest in each other's presence. You have a shared history. You have shared memory. You have meanings. Um, it's really sad, though, that a lot of couples will never get to year 35 because they have this notion that if mm-hmm. I'm not happy right now, my marriage is a failure.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's a great transition to our next question because you've been talking about the brain science side of things and this idea of struggling, right? And, and in your book, you have a whole chapter that refers to marriage as that, as a sacred struggle. What did you mean by that term?
2: Well, it's, it's some of what we've already touched on, that the best things in life usually come out of difficulty. And sacred mm. marriage has been out long enough where it's, you know, it's controversial in some circles. And so I was asked to debate this at a national ministry, marriage ministry leaders conference. Uh, it was oh, wow. held at a big city and I knew it was coming up. So I did some research. I was doing a, a marriage conference in, in Idaho and it was a big one. They had a thousand people there, 500 couples. And so I had mm. everybody stand up and I said, I want you to remain standing if your marriage proved to be easier than you thought it would be, five couples remain standing. Whoa. Now, I'm I'm wow. an English major, but I can do that math.
1: Yeah. That means
2: 1% were <laughs> wow. saying that. Now, it was actually less than that because afterwards, a couple came up to me at the book table and said, we have a confession to make. And I said, what's that? They said, well, we were one of the five couples that stood up. I said, and? We've only been married ten days, <laughs> so
0: that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Awesome.
2: <laughs> so, is oh, it's, it's actually a, a little less than one percent. But I just wanted couples to realize: don't freak out if mm. your marriage is difficult. If you have, if you are one of those one percenters that marriage surprised you with how easy it is. Thank God. Don't yes. feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Rejoice it, receive it as a gift of God. But if you're one of the 99% that said, boy, we really didn't think marriage would be like that. Just say, okay, so you were naive, but God uses difficult things for a good purpose. Look, I, I don't know that anything will try you as much as marriage besides parenting. And and there are points of parenting when you just want to give up and you say, what is going on? And yet there are moments of parenting that feel transcendent in wonder and meaning and purpose, and it's just so good. And so just recognize that the desire for a struggle-free life is the desire to remain immature, to not have your character challenged. I, I look at it at spiritual bodybuilding. If I never stress my muscles my muscles don't grow. Mm -hmm. If I'm never running until I'm tired, my endurance isn't growing. If I want to Mm -hmm. grow as a person in maturity for me as a Christian to grow in Christ likeness, I have to be tried. I have to be tested. I have to be challenged. And so the struggle behind marriage isn't fun, but it leads to something glorious. I just want people to have that long-term picture in mind. If they're listeners, if you're in a tough season, I can't tell you how many couples have told me, you know, it, it was worse. We were done with it and we look back and we treasure each other. Now we we're so grateful for each other. Now it's something that's drawn us together that we got through that together. Um, evaluating your marriage when you're going through a tough time is like evaluating your fitness when you're running uphill in Aspen. It's, it's just <laughs> yeah. not fair. I I did that one time. I I literally, I came there from Seattle, right? And um, so basically I live, I was living at sea level, Mm -hmm. fly into Aspen, running up. I thought, man, I'm in such bad shape. I can't breathe. Well, no, I I was in (laughs) high altitude. Well, it's like that in relationships. There's going to be times of marriage when it's just challenging. That doesn't mean you're not well matched. It just means you're running uphill in altitude. Mm-hmm. Accept it and, and wait for that season to pass.
1: Well, Gary, I love how you are using the image of working out or, you know, climbing a a mountain in Aspen and looking at that at marriage. And now you and your wife have been married for 30 plus years. Congratulations. Um, So in terms of, you know, like if we want to work out our muscles, we can go to the gym, we can exercise, we can have a plan. So now you've been married 30 plus years and you have seen, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, you've gone through the struggle. What can you tell us and our podcast family about like practical ways? Because we always like talking about the nitty gritty. What are practical ways that if we're in the struggle? If we don't see the other side right now, what are practical ways that we can do to invest into our marriage and in to invest into
2: each other? Two of the things that have challenged my marriage the most, and you, you might not think of these as that practical, so I'm sorry if they sound more oh, theoretical, Christina. But uh, because Scripture says we all stumble in many ways, I know everybody listening is married to someone that isn't always lovable. The mm-hmm. scripture tells me they're not.
0: <laughs> Sorry,
2: Deb. I don't know. So how do you overcome it? And for me, there was a defining moment in my marriage. I was praying. I was not being a very good husband. And God challenged me saying, Gary, Lisa isn't just your wife. She's my daughter. And I expect you to treat her accordingly. What he was doing, mm, he's wow. having me apply. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And I always claimed my role as God's son. And God was reminding me that's true. But that also means your wife is my daughter. Mm-hmm. And when I think, you guys, about all that I owe God, the fact that I exist is because God created me. And not just that he created me, that he created me to be a human. He, mm-hmm. he could have created me to be a cow. How, how pathetic you know, to be a cow. You, if you're a dairy cow, you get woken up at 430 in the morning and your sensitive parts (laughs) tugged every day. Or if you're an Angus cow, they let you live two years out in the, in the rain and then they kill you to feed somebody. I mean, it's just, I'm just glad I'm a human (laughs) instead of a cow because as a human, I'm the only creature that laughs because I'm the only creature created in the image of God. Well, Humans are the only creatures that laugh. And, and I get to know beauty and music and truth. I get to be a husband, a father, a friend, all of those things. And then also God called me to be a Christian. And some people think of being a Christian as a killjoy or a duty. For me, it's greatest joy in my life, learning new truth. Knowing that I'm okay in the future, that I have God who is for me, not against me, that my sins are covered. I can face the ugliest parts about me and know that God is taking care of them. Having the Holy Spirit that will comfort me, but also convict me when I start to do stupid things, will convict me so that I won't destroy my life. All of those things. And then he says to me, I'm giving you all of this. Here's my daughter. Will you love her? out of reverence for me. And now I'm not loving my wife primarily because she's always worthy to be loved, although I have a wonderful wife. I'm loving her out of reverence for a perfect God. And so if you try to love an imperfect spouse for when they deserve to be loved, your love is going to be spotty at best. But when you love an imperfect person out of reverence for a perfect God, because God isn't just my heavenly father, In a very real sense, he's my heavenly father-in-law. And to treat her that way, I owe her father everything. I know how precious she is to him because I have two daughters of my own. I can only imagine. And one of the best ways I can worship God is to love and to cherish his daughter. That's so practical to me in a world that's fallen. Married to a person who, according to James 2, stumbles in many ways, that keeps me motivated to love her because the day may come. Now, we're still only in our 50s, but she could be an 85-year-old arthritic Alzheimer's patient where I'm not getting anything out of the relationship. But she's no less God's daughter then than she is today. And so I want to love her through my whole life, and now I have a motivation that's greater than my sin, that's greater than the fact that we both stumble in many ways. It's, I love her out of reverence for my heavenly father, who also, when I get married, becomes my heavenly Uh, father-in-law. That is practical to me every day, because it gives me motivation to love her every day. It gives me motivation to stay in my marriage every day. I'm married to God's daughter, wives, you're married to God's son. And if we could mm-hmm. know how much God has invested in the welfare of his children, uh, we would understand the glory and the worship that marriage is.
0: That's so good. That's so good, Gary. For Christina and I, your book has been such a powerful um, a, a foundation to our marriage when right. we read it, when we were engaged. And, and I know there's a lot of listeners listening in who— uh, out of our podcast family, who they know someone who is seriously dating or who is engaged and and if they have come to mind, uh, this is definitely a podcast, an episode that you 'll want to share with them, but Gary, you said something about the twelve to eighteen month infatuation thing with brain science, and I just wonder as we come to close on our podcast, can you maybe address those who are seriously dating right, or those who are engaged? And they've only known each other. They've known each other less than the 18-month time. How, in light of that brain science and in light of everything that you've written and, and spoke on and, and traveled the world uh, to speak on with, with regards to marriage, what would you say or what advice would you give those who are seriously dating and engaged but they might still be in that infatuation uh, time frame?
2: I, I don't want to sound like a shameless huckster here, but the next book I think in influence of sacred marriage is the Sacred Search, mm. which is written for singles. oh, uh, that's because I do be believe okay awesome. very strongly, where I've taken everything I've learned about marriage and said, this is what you need to know before you get married and and here's what I would say to those: Would you rather be in a spiritually rich mature uh, mutually building each other up marriage for 45 years or a frustrating, soul-destroying marriage for 50 years? Hmm. I've never had anybody, I mean, waiting five years to make a good match sounds like so long for a single, but I put it in that perspective and everyone said, well, I'd rather have the better marriage for 45 years. Right. So yeah. getting married because you think it's time to get married when you haven't found, made a wise decision is just a foolish thing to do yeah. uh, because God does call us to be true to that commitment. And you may get lucky. If you're in fact, it's, impo- it's possible to get infatuated with somebody who would be a very wise marital match um, and you go ahead and get married on a infatu- And we hear of couples who do that and it turns out okay. But do you want to base the rest of your life on being lucky? Wow. Um, and and it, it's a whole nother show that we could get into. But I, I I put it this way. A good marriage is a gift that keeps on giving. I reap the benefits every day of a decision I made 35 years ago to marry my wife. A foolish marital decision, though, is like a bad investment that you never pay off. You're writing those checks or you're having the automatic withdrawal made every month and you mm-hmm. keep going out. And so there, there really is no more impactful decision you'll make next to where you stand with Jesus Christ. It impacts your weekends. It impacts your evenings. It impacts uh, how you raise your children, who your children become. And so uh, it's just a decision that I implore singles to use wisdom, to seek counsel, to, to make the best one, because I don't want anybody listening to miss the benefits of a wise marriage. And I don't want anyone listening to have to pay the price and the serious consequences of a foolish marital choice based on romantic idealization. Um, the blessings are too great to miss. The consequences are too great to bear. So I think if you're going to make that decision, make a wise one.
1: Uh, yeah,
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I don't even know if we
0: have to Mic say drop, we're else. done. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Period, exclamation mark. <laughs> oh,
0: it was incredible.
1: Well, and the fact that, uh, I don't know if y'all picked up this part, I love brain science and the Mm -hmm. fact that he was bringing into that about the whole aspect of the dopamine rush that we have as we're, you know, dating someone for 12 to 18 months. And then what happens after that, it's almost like the blinders fall off. Yeah, That is a treasure, treasure for you to realize maybe why you're looking at your spouse in a different way. A treasure for you to pass on to others maybe who are dating or, you know, approaching engagement and maybe want to, you know, elope and have something happen really, really quickly. Maybe this can be a gentle warning of like, hey, just want to let you know, like, you know, do what you want to do, but you may wake up in a few months and not see your spouse in the same light. Or if you have children who are about to date, maybe this is something that you can help them keep in mind. And maybe you're listening to this and you're single or you're dating someone and wondering, is this the person I should marry? Hmm. These are all great things to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. And we'd love it if you just text a link to this podcast, inbetween.org slash episode 86, or on your podcasting app, just hit the share button and send it to whoever you're thinking about or whoever came to your mind as you listen to this. If you're married, definitely send it to your spouse Have a conversation about the episode afterward. And I trust that your marriage is going to be better for it. So we would be honored if you do share the episode. And next week, we're going to be back. We're going to be talking about creating a guiding statement for your family. Now, this is a workshop that we put on and the response was great. And all the people who weren't there were like, oh, we wanted to be there. And we're like, okay, let's record an episode and share that. But you're gonna enjoy this because it's all about how do you, you know, the impact of stories and, and what that does to your family and what a guiding statement would do for that. All right, so make sure to tune in next week for that. And once again, you have one week left to enter into the draw for my favorite pair of earbuds. All right, we're actually going to do this on February 18. We're going to do the draw, and all you have to do to enter into this draw, I mean, the earbuds, I think, are almost $100. bucks. Like they are just top-notch quality earbuds. All you have to do is buy a copy of my newest book, You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. You can buy it wherever books are sold, or if you um, want to get some direct links, you can go to danielin.com you are. And just send a copy of your receipt to our email, inbetweenpodcast at gmail.com. Imbetweenpodcast at gmail.com, and you'll be entered into a draw. All right, we'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries Podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman. To leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.